0: Nick, it feels like sometimes the pandemic has really put us in uncharted territory when it comes to, you know, uh, major government spending to help with unemployment rates and keep businesses afloat, surging house prices, and now we've got uh, record inflation. Uh, How do Canadians feel about our economic future?
1: Sour, sour, anxiety. When we look at the trend line, and every week with Bloomberg News, we track the uh, consumer confidence. And, you know, check out the trend line. When you see the trend line, you know, you can see about a year ago, the score out of 100 was like almost as high as as 70 points, which is actually quite strong. And now we're cycling towards 50. And to put this into context, Michael, you know, this is a 100 point scale, 50 is neutral. Once we get below 50, it's like being underwater in a swimming pool and negative. Mm -hmm. And there's been a negative trajectory over the last number of weeks uh, on consumer confidence. This does not bode well for uh, for the economy, there's lots of speculation from economists that we could be going into not just a recession in Canada, perhaps even a global recession as everyone deals with the shocks of, and why don't we just start the laundry list of negative news, you know, recovering from the pandemic, interest rates going up, the cost of goods uh, going up, and we uncertainty related to the war in Ukraine, roll all those things up, and we're talking about a negative cocktail of pessimism when it comes to the economy and where Canadians are right now. A lot of anxiety
0: too. Mm. Well, on, on that cheery note, uh, I just want to welcome everyone <laughs> to, to a new episode of Trendline. I'm Michael Stiddle. And I'm Nick Nattles And uh, of course, today we're talking about economic anxiety. Uh, you can see, Nick, it's already uh, been bleeding into our politics here. Uh, last night, we had the conservative uh leadership debate the french language debate and it was a huge topic there uh we had uh pierre poliev going after jean Chiray on his tax record which he said led to inflation and patrick brown going after pierre poliev over his embrace of cryptocurrency uh, what what did you make of all that last night
1: well a lot the debate the 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 french conservative leaders debate mm. was a take no prisoners Knife fight in a telephone booth, wow! Like you had, you had Pierre Poiliev actually refer to his opponents, Patrick Mm -hmm. Brown and Jean Charest specifically as corrupt. Like, Mm. come on! Like, where's the second, where's the second ballot growth? Obviously, you know. Think of it this way: you would think that candidates would be jockeying for, to be, to have some sort of appeal because it's a ranked ballot, right? Mm -hmm. So when, when Poiliev sends a broadside into the Sharae and the Patrick Brown campaign, campaigns, that basically says, hey, I don't want your second ballot support because you know, the reality is, is he's, he's looking at kind of doing a full on negative attack, but you know, it happened both ways. He was on the receiving end on the, on the cryptocurrency front. Uh, from, uh, from the candidates, but this Mm. does not look like a family or party that is united. And it looks like, you know, the thing is, is regardless of who wins, there will be people that are not only disappointed, but will not feel as if they have a place within the conservative party of Canada.
0: Mm.
1: So, uh, so, you know, but think of, you know, we talked about this in our, in our other uh, podcasts, Pierre Poilievre anti-establishment tapping into that pessimism tapping into the concern and economic anxiety that people have and basically saying that things have to change and that you know from his perspective at least can't rely on uh, on what I'll say solutions from the past have to think of new things but messy 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 and uh, it's going to be interesting to see how coming out of this leadership the conservative party will unite Behind whoever the winner is, Mm. in order to try to challenge the liberals.
0: Yeah, you've you've said, Nick, uh, in previous episodes that that Paulie Evans Charay are essentially going uh, two different, completely different groups. Like they're not going after the same membership votes. Uh, So the party really seems more and more divided, and they're playing this kind of zero sum game. Uh, but, but as we've seen, it's, a, it's in previous leadership races, it's, it is a ranked ballot. And, and it's usually, you know, everyone's kind of second choice or third choice that might come out on top. So what, what does that say for uh, the other uh, leadership hopefuls? Do you think we'll see any surprises?
1: Well, I think the ones to watch, uh, two that I'm watching at least. Now, first of all, um, we know that Pierre Poiliev um, has a movement that he is harnessing for his, uh, leadership bid. So obviously he, he will do well and respectably in this, there's an expectation that Josh Ray will do well too. Uh, although we don't know how good his organization is going to be on the ground, Patrick Brown is going to be one to watch. Um, he hasn't, uh, he's, he's been keeping fairly low key. He didn't even go to the first unofficial debate,
0: Mm
1: uh, but he's been keeping fairly low key, but you know, the, the guy's an organizational machine. He should not be dismissed. You know, he won the Ontario progressive conservative leadership and wasn't the odds on favorite. in that was the underdog and won. so can't dismiss that person. Leslyn Lewis, um, you know, she's a force to be reckoned with in the uh, within the conservative party and the conservative movement in Canada. Maybe she might be a second choice for, for some of the, uh, some of the other candidates. Hmm. So it's kind of like uh you know, the playing billiards, you know, you got the billiard table and you, one of the balls gets struck mm-hmm. and then it's like uh, stuff's going all over the place. Yeah. So, um, so, you know, unless someone can win on the first ballot, you know, I think it's going to be uh, really interesting to see what the order is, you know, um, and, you know, could we see some surprises where, you know, a candidate, I, I don't think there'll be a surprise if Lesley Lewis comes in fourth, Mm. Uh, but it could be a surprise if uh, if Jean um uh, you know, either wins on the first ballot or comes third on the first ballot. I think the expectation right now, the non-scientific mm-hmm. expectation is that Pierre Poiliev will be either first or second uh, on the on and and that, you know, but who knows? It's, it's uh. really too early to tell. And, you know, there'll be, you know, a lot of memberships that come in, so there's not really any proper scientific research uh, to know how all of the the candidates are doing. So a lot of it is spin-meistering from the campaigns Mm -hmm. and people reading entrails of eyeballs on social media and YouTube videos.
0: Uh, Nick, I want to switch over to the Ontario election campaign, where we do have uh, hard numbers. We've got your latest ballot tracking there. Um, How how are the parties doing?
1: Well, in the latest CTV, CP24, Nanos tracking that was released earlier this week, uh, we have the Progressive Conservatives at 37%. Nine points back are the Liberals at 28. The NDP are at 23. If there were an election held today, and it's not held today or this week, um, it would probably be a conservative majority government. Uh, the big question is, you know, it looks like the NDP are going to lose seats, because you have to remember, Michael, mm. in the last election, they had like 34%. Now they're down to 23. So they're going to lose some seats. The big question is, how many seats do they lose? Um, and I think for the conservatives, there's also a high probability that the conservatives even winning a majority government will lose some seats. And it looks like the liberals will be the beneficiaries. But who comes in second? A little too early to tell. Right now, mm-hmm. the provincial Liberals have the advantage in terms of seat projections over the new Democrats, but there's a lot of really tight races between the NDP and the, uh, and the Liberals, and that could change quite quickly. But uh, looks like Doug Ford's in cruise control. Yeah, why don't we just say, he's not only in the driver's seat, he's mm-hmm. on cruise control, just trying to get through the close of this election without mm-hmm. making any mistake because, you know, realistically he's the only person that can derail his own campaign
0: i i'm curious about what what issues are are uh, ontario voters really hoping to be addressed right now and what's what's the the top concern Two big clusters actually. Healthcare, as an unprompted issue of concern,
1: comes in at around 25% in the in the weekly tracking that we're doing with CTP and cb 24 But uh, cost of living has been up about seven points compared to the beginning of the campaign, at around 19% or thereabouts. And even things like fuel has, uh, or the cost of gas, is was nowhere, mm-hmm. absolutely nowhere three four weeks ago, and now it's actually on the radar at around I think one out of every 20. Uh, Ontarians. So think of two buckets, Michael, kind of healthcare, and this, the healthcare bucket includes stuff like long term care, funding for our hospitals, funding for frontline healthcare workers, are we ready to kind of, uh, you know, get out of the pandemic and be resilient for future threats, through to dollars and cents issues, price of gas, price of housing, rising interest rates and stuff like that, those being kind of two the two real dominant buckets. Of of issues and environment still does well at around ten percent, but I think of healthcare and kind of economic issues as the two key things that Ontario voters want to hear hear about.
0: So it, it brings us back to this, uh, you know, I guess the the theme of this episode of economic, economic anxiety, Nick. And and it, if voters feel this way, I mean, does that does that help or hinder the uh, the incumbent party? I mean, it, it, is this good for Ford or bad mm-hmm. for Ford? Well, usually you'd think that if people are grumpy,
1: that it's bad for the incumbent government. You know, we asked a question, we asked all Ontarians, whether they're pessimistic or optimistic about the future for the province. Mm. And Ontarians Uh tended to be more pessimistic than optimistic. Um, Like I think about 45% were kind of in the negative group. And about 37% in the positive group, and the rest were neutral. But the kicker, and this was really quite striking, is that if you happen to be an Ontarian that's under 35 years of age, you were much more pessimistic. And the only group that's optimistic about the future people that are 55 years of age, they were net positive. Mm. So when you think of that anger, the pessimism, the anxiety, it's more targeted. And focused on middle-aged and younger Ontarians compared to Ontarians that are over 55 years of
0: age. I mean, we we won't know until all the all the ballots are in uh, in this election. But I'm very curious how, what the voter turnout will be this time around. If if that pessimism in the lower in the younger age groups will drive them to vote, or maybe keep them home it should be interesting
1: yeah well you know think of it this way you know with healthcare at the as the top unprompted uh, provincial issue of concern you think that that might not be good for uh, for Ford right because mm. you know in the same polling that we've done it suggests that Ford is the most trusted on economic issues and Horvath is the most trusted on health issues mm. but you know what none of those things have stuck into your question is it good news or bad news it looks like you know right now Uh, for many Ontarians, they're probably looking at all the candidates, all the leaders in terms of risk. And you know what? Let's face it. Ford's not running against perfection because if he was, he'd probably be in big trouble. He's running against like other party leaders like Del Duca and Horvath. So that's all he has to do is to be like this much taller. And (laughs) then he wins. Maybe he's not tall at all. He just needs to be like this much taller Mm. and know he wins the election which speaks to you know the my comment about the only person in my opinion that at this point in the campaign that can derail the trend line is doug ford himself
0: oh Uh, Nick, we're going to take a quick break but when we come back we're going to talk about uh, support for nato in uh, europe So, Nick, uh, last week you were in Germany, and I'm, I'm curious uh, what the view is there now on, you know, their their energy policy moving away from Russia, but, but also NATO overall. How, how do they feel about two Nordic countries potentially uh, joining? Well, you
1: know, like when we uh, when I was in uh, Germany, uh, everybody is fixated on Ukraine mm. and what's going on there. And, you know, that's close for the. For the Germans, Ukraine is not that far away and no one ever thought that NATO and Germany specifically and other kind of European countries uh, would be in, I'll call it a hot war uh, against the Russians where, you know, a number of European countries, Canada and the United States are not only doing, you know, economic sanctions but are actually arming um, and supporting uh, the Ukrainians in mm-hmm. their fight against the invasion from Russia, but we did a we did a really cool survey. So we did a survey of a thousand Germans and a thousand Canadians, and I'd like to say that we did the survey in cooperation with our partner organization or sister organization DMAP, which is one of the top pollsters in in Germany. And we asked the Germans about their favorability of NATO, and we also asked Canadians about their. Uh, favorability of NATO and Mm -hmm. about seven out of every 10 Germans had a favorable or somewhat favorable view of NATO that jumps up to eight out of every 10 among Canadians. So the NATO brand is actually quite strong in Germany and Canada. And, you know, the, the other thing is, is that when we look at both, both of the countries and their perceptions of each other, just in general and being on, on issues like who do you want to work with, or who would you kind of get along, um, Canada actually scores uh, exceptionally well. At the top of the German list is France and Canada in terms of wow. countries uh, to work together with, and then at the top of the Canadian list is the United Kingdom. Not a big surprise because of our traditional connection to the United Kingdom, and uh, and Germany. And I forgot to mention. I have to say, full disclosure: I am the volunteer chair of the Atlantic Broca Canada, which is a nonprofit, nonpartisan organization. That is focused on building stronger dialogue and and ties with Canada and Germany. So, mm. but you know what, the numbers are the numbers. Uh, so NATO still very strong in both countries, and uh, there's some potential there in terms of how favorably Germans look at Canadians and mm-hmm. how favorably Canadians uh, look at Germans.
0: Now, in, in in terms of their energy policy, I mean, for for years and years, the, the idea in Germany, of course, was closer. Ties with Russia would actually be beneficial to both countries and and you know ease ease the risk of war. Obviously, that didn't turn out. Um, <laughs> so so how do they how do they feel now about? I mean, which energy partners do do they want uh, their reserves from now?
1: And you know the Germans are literally fixated on whether the Russians will turn off the taps, literally of the uh, of uh, you know the the pipeline and the energy because you know Russia is one of the major suppliers. Of, uh, of energy, not just to Europe, but especially of, of, of Germany. And Germany right now is effectively looking to find alternatives. So in mm-hmm. the same study that we did uh, with DMAP um, in Germany, you know, we asked Germans and Canadians uh, who they'd like to see as, uh, as energy partners. And in the survey that was conducted by DMAP of, the, uh, of Germans, Canada actually tops the list. Mm. On the energy partner front, at around sixty-four percent, and then you know, second is kind of uh, Australia. But when you look at the when you look at the German list of who they'd like to have as energy partners, their real energy partner is like, man, at the bottom of the list. When you look at that number for Russia, yeah. like uh, you know, it's it's quite quite negative. So, you know, thinking of all the different choices that Germans have when it comes to energy partners, Canada, Australia, the Middle East. Russia, stuff like that. Canada is clearly at the top of the list. And, you know, when we when we do, uh, when we ask the same question among Canadians in the survey that was done by NALS, um, it's actually a three-way tie between mm-hmm. Australia, Germany, and the U.S. So the fact that the U.S. is part of the mix, not a big surprise, because we're already significant energy partners. Mm-hmm. But Germany is seen as being just as appealing as the United States or Australia, and it speaks to the opportunity for uh for kind of more dialogue and relations between uh, canada and germany
0: uh nick thanks uh that's a great episode uh and as always thanks very much for your insights this one